Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Zach Friedman, author of The Lemonade Life. If you want to learn how to make the best of your network, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend and main man, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm excited to bring on, look, I know I say that every single week, that I'm always excited to bring on the guest, but that is the luxury of having a show like this, is that I actually get to pick and choose the people that come on the show. So when I say that I'm excited to bring people on, I genuinely am, because if I weren't, then I wouldn't let them come on the show. So always know that whatever I'm saying here, I do mean it. It's not just something that is a habit, although it also is a habit, um, but I do mean it. So all that being said, today I'm bringing on another amazing guest with just an incredible resume, just a really intriguing resume. I tell him that here on the show probably a couple of times because I was super interested to talk to him. His name is Zach Friedman. Zach is the founder and CEO of Make Lemonade, a leading personal finance company that empowers you to live a better financial life. He is an in-demand speaker and has inspired millions through his powerful insights, including more than 14 million who have read his advice in Forbes. Previously, he was the CFO of an international energy company, a hedge fund investor, and worked at Blackstone, Morgan Stanley and the White House, and he holds degrees from Harvard, Wharton, Columbia, and Johns Hopkins. So 
it's just an incredible resume and an incredible dude to talk to. Plus, when you talk to him, you just wouldn't know any of those things. He's so easy. He's really, really humble, down to earth, easy to get along with. And I had a really, uh, just a really great time talking with him. So just a few of the things that we cover is how to know if college is right for you. If you're if you're sitting there wondering, man, should I be going to college to be successful in business? We, we tackle that situation in this interview because obviously he's somebody that's super well-educated, but he also knows a lot of people who are super successful that were never finished college and never went to college. So we have that conversation. We talk about the number one way to improve your negotiating ability. And we talk about the biggest lesson that he learned from writing his new book, The Lemonade Life, uh, which features different um, highlights from conversations that he's had with people like Warren Buffett and other people of his caliber. So uh, you're definitely going to want to tune in to this interview. I promise you it's going to be worth your time. But first, really quickly, if you wonder how I've been able to build and maintain some of the key relationships in my life and some of, with some of the people who've come here on the show, I put together a all-encompassing training on everything I know about how to do this better, how to build better relationships with people. Um, and you can find that over at travischapel.com slash explode, travischapel.com slash explode. So if this is something that you are focused on doing, if, if building your network, exploding your network is something that you are committed to doing in the next 12 months, I highly recommend going out and checking, checking out this uh, training that I just came out with. So I hope to see you over there at travischapel.com slash explode. But if not, enjoy this amazing conversation with my good buddy, Zach Friedman. Zach, thank you so much for jumping on the show today, man. Welcome. Thank you so much, Travis. Great to be here. Okay, so I want to jump into building some context here because there's so many amazing things that you've done. I mean, CFO of an international energy company, hedge fund investor, Blackstone, Morgan Stanley, the White House, all these different places that you've worked and then degrees from Harvard, Wharton, Columbia, Johns Hopkins, all those types of things. You use so much knowledge in a variety of different areas and I'm really stoked to get into that. But I want to start building some context. Tell me what life was like for you as, let's say, you know, 14, 15 year old Zach, like what, what did it look like for you in terms of your home life? Was there pressure to go to college, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Travis. You know, when I was growing up, yes, my parents wanted me to follow kind of the straight path as many parents do, you know, go to college, maybe go to graduate school, you know, get that degree, have that security and safety, kind of work for 30 years and then enjoy your retirement. And I think for me, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I was a dreamer. Um, you know, I certainly wanted to follow that path to have the security, but I also wanted to kind of create my own path and kind of take charge of my life. I wasn't ready to do that at age 15 or at age 20 or at even age 25. Some people are, and they're ready to jump right in and kind of take those risks. You know, for me, I think I was self-aware at a young age and it wasn't, it wasn't right for me. So I did want to follow that straight path first before becoming an entrepreneur and kind of building big things after that. Yeah. So you go the college route, right? What was your like biggest takeaway from going to college? The biggest takeaway from going to college was, was probably not the academic work or, or, or the learning. I mean, certainly all of that was interesting and I appreciate it and it was a requisite to what I needed to do. But I think it was kind of opening my eyes to possibility, right? And I'm a big believer in, in the thought of possibility, right? It's like, what's out there? What can I do? What can I explore? What can I take away from something? So I think for me, the biggest takeaway from college 
was possibility and opportunity. And I think you get exposed to different types of you know, subjects and potential jobs and the people that you meet and the places they're from and the places you can go to. And everything's going through my mind of hmm, what can I accomplish? What can I take away from this? What can I learn from this so that I can be better? And then how can I access and leverage those types of opportunities? So that was the biggest takeaway from, from college. It was not what I learned in you know, US history. If somebody's listening to this right now and let's say they just graduated high school or maybe they're even like mid 20s and they're just, you know, reevaluating what they're doing in life, what would be your recommendation? I I'm, I hear this argument all the time like is college good is college not good? And I think for a lot of people it is, I think for a lot of people it isn't, but for business specifically, if you're trying to if you're 19, 20 or maybe 25, 26 and you're looking at maybe going back to school and getting a business degree or just going and starting a business, what do you think would be a better way to go about tackling that? It's an excellent point that you made. And I think first, it's specific for everybody, right? So I don't think there's a general rule, go to college, don't go to college, go to business school, don't go to business school. I think that you are going to learn a lot more getting your hands dirty and being on the job than I think you will learn in school. I mean, school can teach you basic building blocks, but you can also read books and listen to podcasts, listen to Travis's show, which I recommend. And you can learn a lot more doing than actually sitting in a classroom. So that can mean starting your own business and you can start a business and fail at it. It doesn't have to be successful. I mean, literally, if you start your own business, you are going to learn everything very, very fast. You're going to learn about relationships, networking, sales, negotiations, contracts, marketing, I mean, you know, and so forth. And I, I think the same thing is if you take a job, you will learn much more on a job and actually experiencing it, whether it's successful or not, than I think you can ever learn in a classroom. Again, everyone has to make their own choice, but I think that's what I would recommend to someone rather than just going the traditional path of automatically going to business school. I mean, evaluate your options and, and what's best for you and what you want to accomplish. Yeah, and I think a lot of people do it in because they're kind of scared of taking the first step into business. So they look at it as like, well, I haven't even gotten my business degree yet. So I feel like for a lot of people, it's just a way to push off the risky thing, the scary thing, right? That is such a good point. You know, and, and I, I've seen this so many times in my life, right? Someone says, oh, but I want to work in business, but oh, I, I can't work in business unless I have a degree. And then they get the degree and they say, oh, I don't really want this job. What I really want is that job. And then they get to that job. And they're like, well, I don't really want to do this. I want to start my own company. Well, start your own company then. I mean, why do you need to do four different steps and do this and do that? If you want to start a company, go out and start a company. I mean, entrepreneurship is the greatest form of meritocracy, right? Everybody can do it. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, where you come from. Literally everyone can create anything if you have a great idea and you execute. Right. Because that's the biggest thing for me is looking, looking at a bunch of people now, especially with the show and people asking for my advice on, hey, should I go to school? Should I not go to school? Should I go after this path or after this path? And it's funny to me because some of these jobs, you have to have degree. Like the, the route that you went, for instance, Zach, like we're going on to working on Wall Street and working at some of these prestigious, prestigious investment firms and different things like that. And uh, those places don't even give you a second look if you don't have a degree, right? So do you think personally that there will be an influx or a uh, shift coming where companies and large institutions like that are less concerned with your degree and more concerned with the type of person that you are? I think it's going to depend on the organization. It's a, it's a very valid point. I think certain, certain financial institutions, for example, may want a certain caliber or coming from a certain background and training. But I think we're seeing an explosive amount of technology 
technology companies, even big tech from Facebook to Apple and others that are looking beyond a degree. I mean, some folks don't even need to go to college. And if they have the programming skills or the smarts they can demonstrate in a different way, they certainly can bypass college in some cases or bypass graduate school to do that. And so, yes, I think companies should be a lot more open to taking people based on their skill set and what they can offer rather than a piece of paper. I'm a big believer in merit. I don't think you need to have a degree from a fancy school or have worked a, a fancy job. If you can do the work and you want to hustle and you're going to work really hard to do it, then welcome aboard. Let's let's work on this and, and, and crush it together. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you. That work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Right. Sometimes in my experience, it's almost even better that way because you get somebody that's a blank slate. You don't have to unteach them a bunch of things before you start teaching them things. And you want a blank slate, right? Because then they're open to learning. They're open to trying new things and, and they want to prove themselves, right? And I think that's a great combination. Um, people who are hungry, that's a quality I think that's super important and people who want to learn and want to listen. Yeah. So going forward now, so you're in, you're in college, you're in school, and uh, you, we've kind of been talking about this, obviously, this whole conversation up to this point. What were a couple of things where you get your degree, you start working on Wall Street, and you realize instantly like, oh, man, I better get better at this, this, and this if I'm going to make a good, successful career here? What were a couple of those skill sets that you just started really diving into after your college education? There were several fold. You know, the first thing I, I wanted to do was never to say that I I know everything, right? I think being very humble is a very important skill, no matter how successful you are, right? And so on day one, you know, I saw a lot of people who'd never practiced that, right? They were very arrogant. They they held a certain title. They were a CEO. They were a partner, and in their eyes, they kind of made it. They don't have to listen to anybody. You know, I kind of take the different approach. You know, for me, every day is is another opportunity for me to get better. 
right? It's better at what I do, better person, better human being. And so I want to practice that on a daily basis. And I learned that at a very young age. You know, another thing that was important for me, Travis, was the power of listening. And, you know, I saw so many leaders who would just talk all the time, right? Their, their boss is kind of this traditional, you know, hierarchy where they're the boss, you're the follower, and you do what they say. And for me, I, th- I think it's the opposite. I found people through work that, that were better listeners, and they were still leaders. And I think you can do both. And when you're a listener, you open your eyes and your mind to possibility, and you learn from other people, whether they're the CEO or whether they're the most junior person on the team. I think everybody has something to offer. And I think the people who listen are going to get much further than anybody else because they're more compassionate, they're more human. And I think that's what leads to better ideas, particularly when you run a company. I mean, you really want to be inclusive because that's what drives ingenuity. And it also lifts people up and encourages them to kind of be motivated at work. So I think listening was certainly another very important thing for me. And obviously, there were other, you know, concrete skills that I learned like negotiating and drafting contracts and sales and marketing and all the financial engineering and so forth. But but I, those were two kind of soft skills that have stayed with me ever since. Yeah. So when it comes to negotiate, I know that's a huge part of what you do and what you were really trying to cultivate in yourself uh, during those first follow those first few years. Somebody listening to this right now, you know, we have a lot of different investors and different backgrounds and ad agencies and all those types of people that are listening to the show. So what would be one or two negotiating tactics or tools that you can share with us that will make us better negotiators? I think one of the most important skills that one can have in negotiating is understanding the other person's perspective. I think too many people are ready to jump in and just kind of go for the kill. This is what I want. This is my point. You better agree with it. I think that's the wrong approach. I think always remember the best kind of deal is where both people come to an agreement, but neither side is perfectly happy. And in order to get there, you have to understand what the other person wants. So either let them save face or let them kind of show them how you can get to their promised land, right? It may not be their exact promised land, but start from that position of kind of understanding and being compassionate. It doesn't mean you can't be firm. It doesn't mean you can't get what you want. But I think when, when you find more common ground and commonality, and that's at least in your mindset, you're going to move closer to the middle. Because with a negotiation, if you're looking to consummate a deal or a transaction or anything in any aspect of life, if your goal is to actually find middle ground, then you have to find middle ground. And I think it starts with your mindset. Yeah, I love that, man. That's one thing um, that Chris Voss, the author of Never Split the Difference, talks about is tactical empathy, just bringing talking, actually his episode just released like yesterday or or, uh, this past Monday on the show. And um, it's been a listener favorite because that's one huge thing that he talks about. So I'm really happy that you brought that up is you go, a lot of people, especially in negotiation, it feels like there's this entire party or movement that teaches you exactly what you were saying. Like be dominating, be the person that gets what they want and be the person that controls the conversation and all this other stuff. And ultimately all you're doing is bullying people and like short term, you might see some success and probably will see some success. But long term, people are just going to stop doing business with you because nobody likes working with people like that. Talk to these people. It's crazy. They're just like, Oh, yeah, I got this. I got that. And I got that. And then like, you know, I totally owned that conversation or whatever. And yeah, but you left them with nothing. And they're not going to want to do business with you anymore. So like, I hope you're okay with that. Exactly. And you know, people negotiate, you're exactly right. They negotiate for the short term and they forget sometimes that they have to deal with this person and negotiate once a month or, you know, every quarter. And so remember like your reputational capital counts and people remember, they don't forget. Right. And so, you know, if you're trying to get these short term wins and you think you're, you're going to be dominant and this and that, 
you know, people are going to remember that. And if you're trying to get to an outcome where you actually have a solution, you get what you want, you're not going to get what you want unless the other person gets what they want. And so remember that, right? Like this is a continuous game. You're playing this infinite game. Usually when you're negotiating with people, it's not a one-time transaction. And even if it is a one-time transaction, like measure yourself with empathy, right? I mean, I, th I think that's important. You know, as you mentioned, Chris, with tactical empathy, I think that's a, that's a great skill and a great outlet that people should really be employing more in negotiating. Yeah. And people will never remember what you say, but they'll always remember how you make them feel. And nobody likes feeling like they got gypped or cheated or nobody likes feeling small and insignificant. And so if that's your whole game plan, that's your goal going in is to be the winner coming out on top, then you're going to be sorely disappointed when your contacts start to shrivel up and stop emailing you back and stop texting you back to meetings because they're sick of working with somebody who makes them feel like they're small. So now you are early 20s, working on Wall Street, dream job, like everything going for you. What do you do next? What's the next thing for you? Yeah. So worked on Wall Street, uh, was also a hedge fund investor as well. So I had an opportunity to invest directly in companies in the public markets. And so I saw a wide, foray, wide array of industries and sectors and kind of meeting with management teams and dealing with risk, obviously, and, and, and making investment calls. And so that was a great skill to kind of measure my decision making um, and help me hone those decision making skills. You're making a lot of judgments sometimes very quickly. And I think that's a really important skill to have too. You know, I'm a big believer that we kind of have to own all of our decisions and our choices in life. And when you're an investor, you're held accountable on a daily basis. And I think accountability, it makes you very humble because you're taking ownership of your decisions. You can have confidence in your decisions. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. You have to own both sides of the equation, right? You don't get to just celebrate the successes. Own your failures too and own the times that you fell short and then understand why you fell short. Maybe it was in your control. Maybe it wasn't. That's part of the game. But I think you'll be a better decision maker if you understand the risk and reward of opportunities. And that was a skill that I developed later on when I was a hedge fund investor. Yeah, I was going to say the huge props to you for, for being able to do that. That's one thing I was reading through principles by Ray Dahlia when he's talking about how he built his company and everything. And uh, just, just learning about the ups and downs of that industry and like insanely high highs, but also insanely low lows. And I've always been curious to talk with, with people like yourself who have been in that kind of daily um, milieu, so to speak, of practicing those types of things. How did you cope with some of those failures? Because I know sometimes you lock in a loss that's just like, it's got to just be like, like a knife to the heart. How do you deal with those? How do you cope with those? Sure. So they're going to happen. They're inevitable, right? I mean, you can read stories in the Wall Street Journal of all the successes, but for every success, there's multiple failures for sure. So the best thing you can do is, is, is mitigate risk, right? I mean, I think that is the best lesson. As long as you've done your homework, you've done your diligence, and you believe in an idea, and you turn that into an investment decision, you live with it, right? And you can pivot from it, you can change it, you can hedge your, your risk. But at the end of the day, you have to accept the loss. If you were wrong, and the market was right, and you just did your best, but it's just the way that it went, say la vie, that's the story. And as long as you did your homework, and you weren't careless, and you weren't foolish, there's not much more you can do than that, right? I mean, that, that is kind of doing your best and being diligent. I think understanding when you have a winner and when you have a loser and, and bifurcating those two things is important. And so it's very humbling to have to take a loss, right? When you've done all your work, you've kind of promoted an idea and it turned out to be wrong and you have to cut your losses. And so I think one of the losing strategies in investing or in life is holding on to a loser for too long. And we do this in our relationships, we do it in our careers, we do it with decisions that we make. And sometimes you just have to cut the cord 
and be humble about it and accept it so that you can move on to the next opportunity. And I think the people who are successful investors do that all the time, right? It's not about how many times you win. I think a lot of times it's about how many times you don't lose and how many times you mitigate those losses. Yeah, I'm curious, are you like a big gambler or at least a somewhat of a gambler like poker, blackjack, anything like that? Only for fun. I mean, I'm not like a gambler in the grand scheme of life, but yeah, sure. Of course, play blackjack and poker. I'm curious to hear like, what do you, do you see that there's correlation between like the ability to, you know, ride momentum and energy forward and then hedge bets and lose really small and push when you're winning really big? Like, do you believe in those like cycles of quote unquote energy? Yes. I'm yes. To an extent I do. I mean, I think, I think as you described it is a perfect example. I think you have to be able to ride the highs and lows, right? Have patience that your, your wins may not play out in the short term. They may play out in the long term. When you have momentum, ride it. You may increase your bets, minimize your losses, right? I mean, Warren Buffett talks about that a lot as do other investors. And when you can minimize your losses, and even if you do reasonably well, you're going to be a very successful investor. It's really about protecting your losses. I think so many people want to focus on the success and the upside and winning, winning, winning. But a lot of times it's protecting your downside. That's equally important, if not more important. This episode of the show is brought to you by StoryWorth. StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share their stories with weekly emailed story prompts. At the end of the year, they'll get their stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. So the way it works is you purchase a subscription for somebody that you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. Then they reply to that email with the story, and then after a year, all of those stories from the entire year are bound into a beautiful keepsake book. With my son being born recently, preserving family memories has been bumped up to the top of my priority list. So we actually got this for my grandparents so that next year, our bedtime stories with Cameron can be adventures that his great-grandparents went through in real life, which is such a real, it's, it's, it's just an awesome way to preserve these stories for him to have forever. Plus, Father's Day is right around the corner, so this will make an awesome gift to a dad in your life. To get $20 off of your subscription, head on over to storyworth.com slash Travis or use code Travis at checkout. That's storyworth.com slash Travis. What's up, everybody? This episode of the show is brought to you by Audible. Listening makes us smarter, more connected people. It makes us better partners, parents, and leaders. And there's no better place to start listening than Audible. Audible is where so many inspiring voices and compelling stories open listeners up to new experiences and ways of thinking. And now members get more than ever before. You choose three titles every single month, one audiobook, plus two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. Audible delivers bestsellers, business, self-improvement, memoirs, and more, all professionally narrated by actors, authors, and motivational superstars like Rachel Hollis, David Goggins, and Mel Robbins. Guys, if you do not control your input, you cannot control your output. And one of the top ways that I control my input is by listening to audiobooks. And the best way to consume audiobooks is via Audible. I promise you it will be worth it. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial today. And your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are totally free. Visit audible.com slash network or text network to 500-500. And I highly recommend starting with Give and Take by Adam Grant. It is one of the top networking books that you will ever read. I promise you it will change your life. So go to audible.com slash network or text network to 500-500 to get started today. 
where are you investing your like your money, Zach? Is it more in the stock market? I know Blackstone is a really large real estate fund. Are you in real estate? Or like, tell me about what you are currently investing and what you typically say is probably a pretty good idea. I know you can't give like full on investment advice, but what would you say would be worth time and attention? Yeah, you know, I, I try to focus on the equity markets. You know, it's kind of where I've kind of focused my career. So it's obviously the stock market. If you're not on the public side, it's investing in in companies if you have opportunities you mentioned real estate for example you know REITs have been a, a good play with high dividend exposure for folks who are looking for recurring income you know I don't play the bond market as much although you know folks can if they're looking for you know high yield opportunities although companies are pretty overlevered today and there's certainly concerns about downside credit risk so some of the high yield investments people may be a little wary of if they're not looking to get crushed when there is some kind of credit explosion but you know and certainly folks investing in in some of the emerging markets too for higher returns, although those have been hit more recently. But I think, I think obviously we've had a very successful stock market, certainly since the election a few years ago and, and certainly over the last 10 years. So I think having a cash position too would be wise advice because there will be a downturn at some point. So I think having cash is, is never a bad thing um, because it gives you an opportunity to be selective and kind of, as Warren Buffett would say, kind of wait for the pitch that you want to hit. So I think that's always a judicious thing to do as well to have a position in cash. Have you gone through Tony Robbins books, either Money Master the Game or uh, Unshakable? I have. How accurate do you think those are in terms of for the general population to follow the advice in those? I think they offer great advice. I mean, I, I think I think there's certainly descriptions of talking with various folks who run investment funds and kind of offering the the type of advice in terms of diversification and kind of riding out markets. I think for individual investors, it really depends on kind of your risk reward right? How much risk are you willing to take to earn a certain reward? You know, where you are in your stage of life. If you're 20 years old and just starting out, you can take a lot more risk than if you're retired. And so, you know, I know everyone likes to chase the stock market and they see the, you know, the wild headlines in the newspaper every day. And a lot of that's backward looking. It's not really forward looking. And so I think everyone needs to kind of look at their individual situation, right? That's how I tend to think of things when it comes to investing. What's their risk tolerance? What do they want to achieve? You know, are they planning for a 50-year horizon or is this more like a 10-year horizon? So I think that can kind of predict safety versus a little more risk tolerance. Love it. Yeah. I just wanted to go off on a little bit of a tangent there because I, I was hoping you would say that because that's one of the books that I recommend to basically anybody. Like even if they're not looking to do stuff in business or not looking to make a lot of money, whatever, read Unshakable because you got you to gotta at least have some sort of financial literacy so that you don't end up being 70 and with having no money. So anyways, getting back into a little bit more of your story specifically, Zach. So you are working on Wall Street and doing your thing there. So then what's the next step for you? Where, like, what, what happens next in your journey? I had an entrepreneurial opportunity to be a CFO of a large energy company and kind of get my hands dirty there kind of on the operating side. And so that for me was something that was very exciting to do. I wanted the opportunity, as I mentioned, when we're going back to when I was 15 to kind of be entrepreneurial, but I wasn't ready to start my own company yet. So that was kind of a phenomenal experience to manage, operate, grow, form partnerships and kind of scale a business that had already been very successful. And so that was a wonderful opportunity for me. How old were you at that point? Mid thirties. Okay. Gotcha. So you, you, you'd been working at that particular Wall Street job for about a decade after school. Would that be safe to say? Yes. In, in, in several different roles. Okay, gotcha. So I, I want to point that out because in this age of entrepreneurship where it's almost put on a pedestal, 
people downplay jobs all the time. And for me, just my personality type, I don't, I'm not sure I could have ever done a job job. Like I tried to do it. I just, I just don't like it. I like having freedom. I like having flexibility. But I also think that a lot of people are discounting jobs too often because like when you were coming out of college, like you said, you said you weren't in a position to want to take the risk or put yourself an entrepreneurial opportunity right off the bat because you didn't feel like you were ready or qualified and it wasn't what your desire was. And I think people discount themselves for feeling that way because of this age of like, well, you should go do your own thing, start your own company, stop working for the man and do your own thing and all this other stuff. And uh, where someone like you were, you just were taking your time, understanding that it's a long play and you were working on all these skill sets, the things that we've been talking about this whole time, right? Like learning how to listen actively, learning how to employ empathy, learning how to be a better negotiator, learning how to sell, communicate better, market better, building a network of high level executives and CEOs, getting to know them, getting mentored by them, like just soaking up knowledge like a sponge to where then in your 30s, a decade after you've been working for other people, you then had an opportunity to jump in and be a part of this exciting growth environment that was more of an entrepreneurial activity. Can you talk into that for a second and just kind of like tell me your thoughts on that? I completely agree with the way you described it. Look, we're all playing a long game here, right? And so I know everyone wants to dive in and kind of build the next Facebook, but that's, that's not always the path that's right for you. And I think each person has to find their own individual path. For me, I was fortunate to be self-aware. It's something that I try to practice. People talk about self-awareness all the time, but I really think it is such an important skill because before you can really do anything, you have to know yourself. And if you don't know yourself, what's going to happen is you're going to end up following the herd. And when you follow the herd, everybody else controls your life, right? And, and when other people control your life, you don't get to fulfill your individual destiny. And so everyone wants, you know, when you follow the herd, you know, everyone wants to go to Wall Street because that's where they make a lot of money or everyone wants to go to Silicon Valley because everyone wants to make a lot of money. The reality is not everybody makes a lot of money there, right? Or not everyone gets to build the next Facebook. And so maybe that's right for you. Maybe it's not. And so you have to understand yourself. And when you're ready, take the plunge to start your own company. Maybe you're never ready. Maybe you're ready in your 30s, maybe in your 40s, maybe in your 50s. You know, it's never too late to kind of pivot and change, but you have to understand why you're doing it and what's your underlying purpose, right? We all should have a purpose in our life. It's another thing that gets overlooked a lot of times. You know, for me, I always believe in kind of creating impact and how can I help make other people's lives better? And that's however you define that. For people, it may be public service and, and helping people you know, live a better life and making the government work better. It might be starting a company and that company actually makes people's lives simpler. I run a company now where Make Lemonade, that's one of our core missions is like, how can we simplify people's financial lives? You have a phenomenal podcast where you, where you give out information and advice to people that changes their lives and makes them better human beings, right, Travis? That's impact. That's creating impact. And it's the same thing with networking, right? What are you going to do to create impact and offer value to someone else? right? It's not about, can I have your business card or, you know, hey, can we be friends or what business can we do together? And will you buy my new amazing product that'll give you better software security? It's about creating impact and value. And I think all of those things for me, as they all came together, that led me to start my own company and I, when I was ready to do it. And I'd start adventures, small things, right? From like the lemonade stand when you're six years old to, you know, little things along the road in college. And, but really starting my first business was after that. And it's the, the company that I run today. So you're telling me that printing business cards is not the key to being successful <laughs> in business? Yeah, apparently not. Yeah, memo, memo to everybody. <laughs> printing business cards and handing them out on the street corner or 
handing them out at a, at a cocktail party does not mean that you've networked and uh, suddenly you're good to go. And like, congratulations, like you're now friends with a thousand people. Yeah, I guess I'll need to reorganize my priority list then. Change everything. <laughs> it's always Change at the top, you know? Yeah, exactly. Got to go print new business cards because it's obviously what makes you successful. Okay, so going back into the story a little bit, we'll talk, we'll talk more about the business um, that you have now, Make Lemonade. But I kind of want to go back here uh, just because you have such a fascinating resume to me. So can you give me like a timeline of how, what this kind of stuff, like how this kind of stuff was kind of falling into place? So, so CFO at an international energy company, your hedge fund investor, you worked at Blackstone, Morgan Stanley, and the White house and you hold degrees from Harvard, Wharton, Columbia, and Johns Hopkins. Can you kind of throw that into like a timeline and let us see exactly, you know, like was school all at once or was it, I went back to school at this point because I wanted to get this thing happening. Like, can you just kind of throw that into a structure for us? Sure. I did it all in 30 days. It was amazing. No, just like everything else. Yeah. It's very easy. So I worked for several years at Morgan Stanley working in investment banking, as I mentioned. And I think that was a great learning opportunity for me and kind of getting my grounding, learning different skills from, you know, negotiating to sales, to marketing, to financing, to doing deals and, and understanding that whole process and interacting with CEOs and board directors. Um, and after that, I did all of my school together. So I've kind of compressed it doing three degrees at three graduate degrees at different schools and was able to do that in a compressed time frame by just working very hard and spending time doing all of that. And then afterwards uh, was at Blackstone and as a hedge fund investor and then a CFO and, and now a CEO. So th- th- I mean, the, the total time was, you know, 15 years or so. Okay. Gotcha. And then what about the degrees? Like were those just like constant, always running in the background? So I did the degrees full time, you know, in my twenties. So this was kind of the after Morgan Stanley, kind of young young twenties to to mid twenties, probably late twenties rather, and did them kind of back to back, kind of starting at Harvard and finishing at Wharton. Okay, and what was the reason for those? Like, was it specific or just I want to keep increasing my knowledge base? I wanted to increase my knowledge base, you know. And again, like, you don't need to go to school and get all these degrees, right? I mean, for me, it was something I wanted to accomplish. I don't think everybody else needs to accomplish. Again, like, I'm really a big believer in kind of your own unique path. And for me, I wanted to have those those tool keys in, in my toolkit. And so, for me, I wanted to. I was never going to practice law on a daily basis, but I wanted those skills. And some people can learn those on the job. For me, I wanted kind of that, that basis in law. You know, same with the MBA. You don't need an MBA. You can go out and, and certainly learn by starting your own company or working at a company. For me, those are just skills that I wanted to build upon. And so it worked out for me, but everyone may have their own path. And so it's really up to you how you want to kind of navigate your career and school together. So then now you're the founder and CEO of Make Lemonade, which is a personal finance company that empowers you to live a better financial life. Can you tell us like exactly how you do that? What are some ways that you help people do that? Absolutely. So we help simplify financial advice for people and help them simplify everything from student loans to student loan refinancing, personal loans, debt consolidation, credit cards. And so we use comparison tools and free calculators and we help basically compare rates. So if you're looking, let's say, you know, student loans is a huge problem in this country today, as you may know, you know, it's almost $1.6 trillion across 44 million borrowers. And so folks have an opportunity to refinance their student loans to effectively get a lower interest rate. And so rather than going to one particular company, much like you might shop for travel, you want to see a comparison site and you want to see all the different companies, all the rates, what are the reviews? What are the pluses? What are the minuses? What are the loan terms look like? And we kind of put that in a very simple format that you can choose. 
and um, we give objective, independent advice. We're not owned by you know any financial institution. We don't. We're not influenced by any financial institution. We kind of leave it very objectively, and we kind of offer our take um, using the facts and kind of digging through everything to make it very simple for the consumer to decide what's best for them in a lot of those different verticals. And who would be your ideal customer, your ideal client for this business? It's really for for anyone who is looking to kind of better their financial life. So we work a lot, obviously, with with younger folks who have student loans, but also parents could have student loans as well. Credit cards are obviously used by many folks um, on a daily basis in their personal life or business credit cards. Same with folks who have if they have credit card debt and they want to consolidate it, for example, into a personal loan. So we offer all types of those tools. Um, for folks who want to improve their financial life or, or learn about financial literacy, as you mentioned earlier. I'm curious to know how your network came into play when you got started with the company. How beneficial was it for you to have all the contacts that you had from all your years working on Wall Street and in all these different firms? It certainly helps. And I think networks, and you're an expert at this, I mean, net- networks are very important. And so laying the groundwork in advance and kind of understanding which folks have the most knowledge in certain areas, which can offer connections, I think are helpful. I would almost place the knowledge base above the connection itself. And what I mean by that is I was very fortunate to meet a lot of people over the years who had different skill sets that maybe I didn't have. And so even sitting with them and getting their advice on when you're going to start a company or, hey, I would take this route, I wouldn't take that route. Or, hey, have you thought about this? Or how about this product? Or here's a way to do it. You know, We tried it in our business, it didn't work. Maybe you could do it differently. And just sitting down and having those genuine, authentic conversations were incredibly important to me and helped kind of propel me as I started my business more so than just saying, oh, I know this person, they can you know, hook me up over here. I think that's important to differentiate those two. Yeah, totally. And I think that word propel, I think is the, is the key word there, which is something that I focus on a lot. It's having the network of like, you can figure it out. Right, like if you didn't have any of those connections, you could have started this company and been and been you know just as successful as you are today. But how much longer would it have taken you to reach the level of success that you're at today without all the advice, without the the caution signs to avoid this pitfall and this ditch here and all that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely, and it connects back to earlier in my career about listening, right? You know, if I wasn't someone that listened and just said, "Oh, I'm I'm so smart, look what I can do," I'm just going to go out and start my own business. That's what everybody else does, you know, when they when they want to start something. But you know, I took a step back, and there are a lot of smart people in this world who know a lot more than I do, and I want to meet with them and listen to them and take their advice where I can and kind of apply it so that I can, as you said, propel to get to the next level. And I think if you can kind of execute that way and that's your mindset, people are going to be willing to help you. They're going to be willing to meet with you and they're going to be willing to help invest in your success. And so that's what I did when I started my company. And you know, I'm very fortunate and, and, and grateful for those opportunities and, and for the connections and, and folks I was able to, to speak with and, and talk to. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So staple question here on the show, Zach, and I'm curious to hear your answer. Who you know or what you know? Which one is more important and why? That's a very good question. So I would say the value of the relationships are are probably better than than what you know. And here's why I say that. So the ability to network with certain people, as I just explained, I think can offer what you know down the road. But I think having those authentic connections and network. And again, not just handing out the 500 business cards at a cocktail party, but actually people you can rely on who can mentor you and kind of offer you different pathways to go or different pathways not to go. I think that's invaluable. And so every person that you can connect with that you can create value for over the years, not expecting anything in return, but 
if one day you're able to start something or you need their advice, I think if you offer that value first, you're going to form a, a deep connection with them rather than trying to sell them a product. And I think that's always the approach that I've taken with networking is what value can I offer to someone else? How can I create impact? How can I make their life better? And I think that's where you actually form the connection and the friendship. And I think for me, I'm always trying to learn things. So that's where I think, you know, the what you know thing I think comes after. But I think if you, if you are able to meet the right people and kind of learn from them, you'll get the what you know afterwards, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think that you'll get the what you know a lot faster. So I have this conversation with a lot of people, obviously, because like the main conversation on the show. And so I think that the speed uh, with which it works in terms of, you know, the who you know, increasing the what you know, I don't think that's it, that it's matched the opposite way. So meaning that Mark Zuckerberg is one of the most well-connected people in the entire world through what he knew, right? He didn't go network and then that's what got him in the situation is he built a world-changing product and his what brought him in front of who. But I don't think that that's as duplicatable as going through the who first, learning, 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 and then the what from them. And it just, just makes your rate at which you learn those things so much faster. Absolutely. Sounds like we're, we're definitely in agreement there on that one. But that's why I like the question because not everybody agrees with me on that and I like having the conversation. But moving on into a little bit more kind of tactics, practical things here. If somebody's listening to this right now, Zach, and they're like, hey, what would be one thing that I could implement tomorrow that would instantly make me better at building better relationships with people? So if you want to add one thing tomorrow that you can build better relationships is be authentic, right? And I know people throw around the word authenticity, but but let me tell you what I think it really means. So all of us probably get pitches on LinkedIn. I've had maybe five today on a daily basis where someone I don't know approaches me and tries to sell me, you know, the Vegemat 2000, which is going to change my life, right? And I don't know what that product is. I don't know the person. And immediately, I don't need it. It has nothing to do with what I'm doing. And I think if people are kind of more authentic and remembering that we're all humans here and we all want to connect with people and we want to help people and we want to grow with people. But I think that's not the approach to kind of start with the sales pitch. And I think if you can connect with someone in a human element and maybe try to help them first before you ask for something in return, it starts the relationship off better. And so anyone who is doing that, and I see a lot of salespeople do it literally every day, just stop doing it. If you actually want to connect with someone and not sell them a product because you want to get to know them, they're going to be much more willing to help you and connect with you rather than having to write a check for something for a product they don't need. That would be my immediate advice. And I would, I would just, as a corollary, I would tell people who want to network better, never be afraid to actually go out and, and talk to someone, no matter how big they are. You'd, you'd be surprised, right? You can find the most famous person in the world and think they'll never talk to me because I'm a nobody. But I, I think that's the wrong approach. I think if you're genuine and you're kind and you add value, you can really talk to anybody in the world. You really can. Like if you're persistent enough, I mean, Travis, look at all the people you've had on your show and your success, right? And, and probably when you started out, you, you didn't know anybody and now you know a lot of people. And so I think just be, having the courage to ask is a powerful tool that you can have in your, in your repertoire. And so it's an important lesson. Yeah, I love that. that it, and you're exactly right. When I started the show, it was with zero connections. The most successful person that I knew before I started this show was making $150,000 a year, like at like the most financially successful person. That, that was kind of what prompted me to start the show was like, I want to do really well in business. So if 
I want to do really well in business, I should probably go get around people who are doing really well in business. <laughs> and so um, now looking back and less than two years later, looking back at all the people I'm able to connect with, I'm living proof of what you just said. If what I tell people is like, if somebody has a pulse, it's possible to connect with them. All you have to do is figure out how that's going to happen and then put that plan in place. And obviously some people is going to take a lot longer and some people it's going to be pretty immediate just depending on their time schedules. And if you have previous connections to them and all those different types of things, but if they're alive, you can meet people, you can build relationships with people. Like you said, as long as you're leading with value and doing it without the expectation of receiving any, anything in return, which I think is a really, really important caveat there. Yes, absolutely. And remember, we all start with zero connections. I mean, that, that's such a powerful moniker. Everybody starts with zero connections from Mark Zuckerberg to you, to me, to Michael Jordan, to Leonardo DiCaprio. There was a time when literally nobody knew anybody. And you can achieve you know, high levels of success and of fame, but hopefully people remember where they came from and, and they'll be willing to talk with you and, and, and share their advice and help, help you grow as well. Yeah, love it, man. Love it. So coming into um, now being an author, and writing this book, Lemonade Life, which is something that I want to talk about really quick before we say goodbye here. What was one of the biggest lessons that you learned in writing this book, first of all? And then second of all, what's one of the biggest lessons that you want readers to take away from the book? Yeah. So I started my own business. I was able to write for Forbes. And so that that's really where it started. I have been very fortunate to, to write over 300 columns for Forbes that have been read now by over 15 million people. And for me, I had focused a lot on success and right. And we've been talking about all these, you know, things that, that I've accomplished over the years. But what I really started to think about is like, what makes people successful, right? We, a lot of people talk about that. What makes people successful? And I started thinking about it and I started, you know, I read a lot of biographies and then listen to podcasts. And when I kind of looked down at it, I kind of found these commonalities among people. And what I found is that they're kind of these five things that drive successful people. And so I started studying these five things and I decided to turn it into a book, right? And so for me, the lemonade life is kind of this aspirational life. It's about how can we live our own best life? I'm a big believer in unique path. And what I found is that in order to get success, you really have to find happiness first. And happiness is kind of this inside thing that all of us can kind of control and create. And so many people are kind of chasing success so they can get happy, right? It's like, how do we get really rich so I can finally relax and have freedom? Whereas I found that the most successful people are kind of comfortable on the inside. They're happy on the inside. They're self-aware on the inside. And so that's how you live this lemonade life, right? And so the lemonade life is kind of this aspirational life where you can fuel success, create happiness, and have the power to conquer anything. And that was kind of the driving impetus around this book. You know, the lemonade life really on a daily basis, all of us are kind of making these two choices, right? It's like, are you going to live this lemon life or the lemonade life? And it's a choice we all have every single day. And so the lemon life is about settling. It's about settling for something less than yourself. It's expecting, it's going down a path that everybody else goes down this kind of herd mentality. And it's complaining, it's making excuses for kind of your life situation. And then that's kind of like where 99% of people live. But then there's kind of this 1% of people who don't have that approach at all. They have the lemonade life. And then in the lemonade, lemonade life, you kind of set your own terms, right? You carve your own path. You're more independent. And you see the world through the lens of purpose and possibility. Purpose is kind of your underlying mission of why you live. And possibility is kind of the endless boundaries of what you can create. And so 
how do you get from kind of this lemon life to lemonade life? That's what the book's about. And it kind of gives advice on kind of things that all of us can do. What I call these five switches, these five common things that all of us have inside of us that we can move from the lemon life to the lemonade life. And when you do, you kind of live this really happy life at work in your personal life. And that's what allows you to kind of conquer the world. Love that, man. So if you're listening to this right now, I highly recommend going up and picking up a copy of Lemonade Life. You can go over to LemonadeLifeBook.com. That's LemonadeLifeBook.com to pick up a copy of this book uh, in the uh, pre-sale. And then basically wherever books are sold after it launches, uh, you'll be able to go find that anywhere. So I highly recommend checking out a copy of that book. Is there anything that was just unexpected during that process? Maybe a lesson that you learned that you weren't expecting to learn uh, that you can share with us? You know, I found when I was writing the book, I try to write content that I would read myself. That's always been a rule that I've done in in all the things that I've written, um, particularly at Forbes and other places. And so when I was writing this book, you know, kind of my litmus test was, does this inspire me when I read it, right? Does it inspire me or does it sound trite? Anything that ever sounded trite, I would have to throw out immediately. But when I read something and it gave me the chills, for me, that, that was kind of the litmus test to kind of inspire people. And so, you know, I share these amazing stories in the book. You know, I had lunch with Warren Buffett, for example, um, and that's kind of the opening to the book. So there's stories of Warren Buffett, uh, Jack Ma, Ray Kroc, Sam Walton, Sylvester Stallone, Tyler Perry, right? And there's all these great stories about what people who we know, we know now to be very famous and have been very accomplished. But you know, what did their life look like when maybe they were down and out or maybe they had a big challenge in their life or how, what was their story of greatness? And so I, I weave in all of these great stories to kind of inspire people to kind of live their, their greatest life. And so anyone who wants more happiness, more success, more greatness in their life, no matter where they are, if they're a successful CEO or they're just starting out in their life, everyone can get better every day. And it all starts with happiness. And that's kind of the path to take you to the Lemonade Life. LemonadeLifeBook.com. Go pick up a copy. I promise you will not regret it. Zach, I can't wait to have a conversation similar to this one sometime in person. But for now, since we're running out of time, let's go ahead and move on to the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions and some fantastic. Let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? I would love to be a chef. I love food. I love cooking. Uh, I don't know how good I am at it, but I would love to be a chef. Love to be a chef. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? It would be my grandfather, I'd say. Uh, my grandfather was an amazing man. And, you know, obviously I knew him when I was much younger, but to be an adult now and to be able to share my life with him and to actually have a one on one conversation on a park bench, it would absolutely be my grandfather. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Definitely your podcast uh, is kind of my first way that, uh, to consume content. Um, love podcasts. Everyone should listen to this podcast. Thank and you so much. Audiobooks. I love reading books, traditional books too. I can like to take notes in the margins and kind of highlight and underline. So I love to consume information. So audiobooks, podcasts, and books. What is one of your favorite books or audiobooks that you've gone through recently? Brene Brown um, writes great books. Um, I enjoy her books. Gary Vaynerchuk, Seth Godin, Sean Acor. Anyone who kind of has, you know, a very substantive content, but also inspirational, I think can help change lives. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. So my morning routine 
starts with gratitude. It's, it's something, something that's very important to me. So I, when I wake up, I'm big into gratitude journaling. So I sit down and, and every day kind of think for about 10 minutes um, as I write you know, three things that I'm grateful for. I think it's really important to kind of count your blessings every day. I know people talk about gratitude, but it's really helped change my life. And I, I sincerely mean that. I think when you, when you count your blessings and you focus on what you have versus what you don't have or what everybody else have, it's, it's a life-changing moving experience. And so I ground myself every day by counting my blessings, mostly on a, my business, yes, but, but more importantly on a personal level, what I have and how grateful and thankful I am. And after writing it, I spend some time actually thinking and reflecting and almost meditating on it. So that's the first thing I do. After that, I pray and then I start my day. And, and that kind of sets me on the, on the process of, of, of having, a, having a great experience in the morning and kind of having a great day ahead. What is your go-to pump-up song? Right now, I'd say it's uh, High Hopes. Panic at the Disco. What is something that you are just not very good at? I'd say decluttering. You know, my, my wife is very good at organizing and decluttering and I'm trying to get better at that. So she's very good at kind of figuring out how to put things in different areas of the house. And uh, I'm always trying to build up things, but I need to learn to throw out more things and, and stay more organized. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Zach, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? You can find me on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, all of them at Zach A. Friedman on Twitter and Facebook and, and Zach Friedman on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Awesome. So go and uh, check out some of Zach's stuff. I know that you're going to enjoy his content, but if you do nothing else, then you're definitely going to want to head over to LemonadeLifeBook.com and grab a copy of this book. I promise you it's going to be worth it. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. Had a really fantastic time chatting with you. I know the audience got a lot out of this one. Thanks so much, Travis. This was fantastic. Really enjoyed it and really appreciate uh, having me on today. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about how we've been able to get some of the guests to come on the show, I've created a totally free resource called Meet Your Hero. So if you'd like to connect with people you respect and admire that are difficult to reach, you're going to want to go to travischapelcom hero to take action and start that training today. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.